Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 104. Now, today we're talking with a guy who's been playing the long game in woodworking content. George Von Driska is the managing editor of Woodworkers Guild of America, and he's been helping grow that site and provide high-quality video content and tutorials. He's also been contributing to basically every other woodworking magazine out there. And today we're going to talk to George about how the woodworking content scene has changed over time and the impact of social media on his content. Yeah, even though the Woodworkers Guild of America started in 2007, George has been putting out content since at least 1998. Writing for major woodworking magazines like Brad stated, uh, some of those being Fine Woodworking, American Woodworker and Wood Magazine and producing VHS woodworking tapes going all the way back to 99. With over 130 DVDs and hundreds of hours of online videos and content, George has had his hand in the woodworking content space for quite a long time. And not to mention, he's an author and also makes and sells custom woodworking on top of everything else he's got going on. Now, we are really excited to talk with George today. Before we get into that, we do want to thank a new patron that we had sign up, we had Dan Hooper. Dan, thank you so much for joining the patron tribe. If you do want to join that patron squad, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit and get some great rewards and help support the show. But without further ado, here's our interview with George Von Driska. All right, guys, welcome to the show today. We have a great interview with somebody who has a ton of history in woodworking, and we cannot wait to hear some of his stories and insights on how things have changed but George Von Driska from Woodworkers Guild of America, the managing editor. George, welcome to Made for Profit. Well, thanks for having me here. I'm really delighted. Absolutely, man. We are we are excited because I know that John and I have have uh, seen your work and been following you a lot, and a lot of people have gotten turned on to you as you've kind of hit the Instagram scene. Uh, and why don't you just tell folks who you are and a little bit about your business for those folks who may not have heard or seen you before. Uh at, at the root of everything, I'm a teacher. I wanted to be a shop teacher when I grew up. So I, I went to college, got a teaching degree and at a time when there weren't makers, you know, <laughs> when shop te- teaching jobs were phasing out because schools didn't want to have shop anymore. So, um, so I ended up doing a bunch of different stuff, primarily revolving around teaching. And then uh, about 98, started writing for American Woodworker magazine. And, and that was you know, you talk about the maker scene. I mean, that was the original maker scene was all these print publications oh, in the marketplace. Yeah. So um, over time, uh, I was with American Woodworker for a really long time, but I've written for Fine Woodworking, Wood Magazine, all of the usual suspects. Um, did a video, did my first video work in about 99, which is uh, on VHS tape. And if you guys aren't familiar with what a VHS <laughs> tape is, I can, I think there's one in my office. I could show it to you. Um were you on and Betamax? Then, Did you have any good Betamax releases? No, uh, no, I, no, no Betamax and no, uh, no. What was the other thing? Uh, Super Eight or whatever. <laughs> yes. I, I was, I was past that. Um, 
And then in, uh, I don't know, a bunch of stuff happened. I've taught in a variety of places, but in about 2007, I was running my own school at the time and got approached by a group that wanted to specifically do woodworking videos. And uh, they had marketing capabilities and shooting capabilities, but no woodworking capabilities. So they used me in my facility and uh, I provided the shop and the woodworking content. They provided the media side of it. And that's Woodworkers Guild of America. And uh, since then have done about 130 DVDs, I don't know, a thousand YouTube clips, um, a, a little bit of a little bit of content. Uh, <laughs> and I've also, I've written a book. Uh, I still write a lot of magazine articles. I do some custom work in my shop. I teach on the road all the time. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of balls in the air. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm not just a video person. I'm, I'm doing a different thing pretty much every day, so, which is good. It's, that is a, the thing that we were talking about just briefly before the show is that what's so amazing to me is that, uh, you know, you have this just huge archive of, content that you've produced but then people are just now like on instagram see you over on april wilkerson's channel and they're like oh who's this guy is he new to the scene it's like no, no. he's done decades worth of work no, and he's really really old he's been doing this for a really long time like yeah who, who's the buff guy helping out april like, right? yeah so i was fit. like hey yeah look at the pythons on george but uh i i grew up so uh so i'm 41 I grew up in that, you know, before YouTube, right? Grew in the wood, I grew up in woodworking yeah. through magazines. And so I had, didn't even think about it until you just said that. I've pro- I have a, a closet here four feet to my left. I've probably got a dozen or more articles that you've written sitting in my house in my closet <laughs> right here because I've got all the back issues uh, from all these magazines. So that is, that is super cool, actually, to think about that. Like, oh, I've got all this stuff you've written, like literally right next to me. Uh, so, yeah, I... I I would love to hear, you know, just starting out, like when you, when you got into to Woodworkers Guild back in 2007, was that, that was right about the time that uh, the Wood Whisperer had started as well. Was that, were you yeah. guys before him, after him at the same time? We were, we were pretty concurrent. I, I think Mark predates us by like 15 days or something, you know, it, it, and it's, it's also really weird, ironic. Um, and there was no plagiarizing going on in either direction here that we ended up with Woodworkers Guild of America and Mark ended up with, um, now I'm blanking out, but he's Guild. Right, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Guild. <laughs> and, and maybe our minds just work alike. I mean, my thing when we came up with the name was um, I really liked the premise of a guild, like back in the day where you had people who were masters at what they were doing, teaching people who were apprentices. And that that guild concept of becoming an apprentice, a journeyman, a master was the idea that I wanted to put onto the webpage. And so anyway, it's, uh, we, we kind of somehow Mark and I grabbed onto the same idea, but yeah, we rolled out about the same time. That's yeah, awesome. That's so cool. Cause I mean, we look at Mark immediately went to content production on YouTube is what it seems like. And, um, what I always find fascinating even now is that the like, traditional holding a woodworking article in your hand or having a physical copy of whether it's a plan or uh, some type of article, there's still so much value in that um, and to me. And so looking at like how, you know, how Brad learned woodworking, uh, we were chatting, you know, a couple of years back and I'm like, well, <laughs> Brad has his plans and they're perfect. And like to a T and I'm like, where, do, where are you finding this template? Like, this <laughs> is like, how do you know, like to put that in there? And he's like, 
dude, you've never opened a woodworking magazine, have you? And I was just like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I have, but uh, I've never used a plan from it. And then I look at it, and I'm like, wow, yeah, like a whole my, new world opened up. And I'm like, wait, this has yeah. been here forever. So it's like, well, and the what is it? I, I don't know. I want to say Wood Magazine or it, uh, Woodsmith, maybe. I don't, but you'd get to the center, and it would be a it'd be a centerfold. It'd be yes. a literal centerfold, and it would be yeah. pages and pages <laughs> that were stapled in. But when you took them out, it would open. Like big enough that it was a full size Adirondack chair plan <laughs> was stapled into the middle of the magazine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, it. pretty that's cool deliverable that, I mean, of course, digitally, that's a little hard to reproduce. I mean, you got to go to Kinko's somewhere in between yeah. if you're going to do it digitally. Right. Put scotch tape here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Piece of all together. So, so like as you, as you started out uh, and transitioned into that, how, how was that delivery? Like, what did the audience look like back then, uh, you know, doing the video because that was so new? Was that was that something that people grabbed onto early or did you guys have oh, problems yeah, getting no. the foothold? <laughs> no. So so DVDs were first. And and I and I love this story uh, today to compare to today's marketplace. So DVDs were first in 07. And then we rolled out the Web page in 2008 and. I got to think a second. This is an odd year. So yeah, because we were in we were in IWF, so it would have been 2008. We had a big dinner with a bunch of manufacturers. We Woodworkers Guild, and said, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this website, and all the content's going to be digital. We're going to do these videos, and we're going to give you the opportunity to have your tools used in these videos. So you write a check, and then your product is going to appear in the video. And I'm telling you, like." It, it, it was all the usual suspects of big names in the industry. And they looked at us and said, like, this is the dumbest friggin' thing I ever heard in my life. Are you kidding me? This is this is crazy business. Like, where's where's the print ad that goes in the back of the magazine? Yeah. And this and I get it because at AW at American Woodworker, it was all about who are who are we going to sell the back cover of the magazine to? Who are we? It was it was 60 percent advertising and 40 percent editorial content. So it was all about selling pages. And and these people in 08, they wanted to see where's the print form of your publication. I mean, I look at what I do as an it's just an online magazine is all it is. And they wanted to see the print form of that. And it's well, no, here's the deal. The print form ends up in recycling. What we're trying to talk about here is evergreen stuff that people can access forever um, but it, yeah, that hurdle to overcome that hurdle was crazy hard. And of course today, and it's not that I don't mean for this to say, oh my gosh, were we forward thinking? It was just to us, it was like the next logical step. Like back in the day, people, there were book clubs and then they became VHS tapes and then it became DVDs. And it just seemed like the next logical step is in, in this kind of education is streaming. So he said, well, uh, well, let's try this. And uh, yeah, so it was, it, I don't know so much about the general public, but with um, with trying to get a check, you know, with trying to underwrite this whole thing, there was a lot of resistance <laughs> to the concept. And it was a very hard sell to get people on board with it. I bet. Did, did you guys tap into like the uh, the new Yankee workshop model? Because I mean, that was one thing, right? That was around and they, you know, they had, who do they have? They had Delta and, and I think Minwax and, they had a few, so it's like not you know not that it wasn't uh, unheard of at the time, but that was so very different. You know, being the PBS and everything. It, what, did you guys use that as kind of a model to say, hey, this can be successful? Because look, well, you know, these guys have been doing it. 
Yeah. So yes and no, because I because I'm very careful editorially about selling out, and or, or at least what I look at as selling out, and and uh, even from a teaching perspective, um, I've probably turned down more tools than I've taken in my shop by just if I'm not willing to use it, I'm not willing to use it, and it's that simple. So um, we wanted to cast a net that would help underwrite what we were trying to do. And and what we were looking ahead at was if we can get enough content going, someday we'll have a subscriber base to the online stuff. However, at the early stages, we need to do something besides just funnel money into this event. And that's where getting sponsors in the form of manufacturers was coming in. So um, I wanted to make sure that whatever we were selling uh, or to whomever we were selling was stuff that I was okay with and that I would kind of organically be using in my shop anyway. Maybe I just didn't own it that day, um, but I was okay with that product. And, and still, I, I still apply that filter today. I mean, I there, there's plenty of stuff that uh, there are sales guys who make, con- make contact with manufacturers for us. And there are plenty of products that I've just chosen not to use, um, much to their chagrin because they're trying to close a sale. But um, <laughs> But if it's not something I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to put a square peg in a round hole and I'm mm-hmm. the square peg. So um, it's, it's, it's a fine balance, I think. Yeah. I think that's an interesting aspect of like content creation in general right now is that there's a lot of brands that are realizing the value of influence. Um, and that was, seems to be kind of like the first stages of it, right? It's like, you know, you've got um, an opportunity to present a tool or a finish or some type of uh, product that could be applicable you know, applicable to a category in a way that uh, the audience will perceive as uh, having an expert's opinion and such. Now tools and in in brands just flood the market for influencers. Um, And there's a lot of, a lot of them that just get their stuff super wide. There's a lot of them that you only work with certain individuals and it's very hard to delineate between the ones that are actually like, Okay, is this a good product? Just because so and so works with it, and it and it's cool to see you actually hold that value to yourself. Is you know, like uh, I understand that uh, I want to work with certain brands of that I like, or I want to work with certain products that I like, and that's that. I can't. I'm not just going to go and you know completely sell out because you're offering me something if I don't like the yeah. product because that's extremely common now with influencers. I mean, like I've done it. I've done brand deals that I shouldn't have done. I've done brand deals that I, I, I've turned down brand deals. I, I wish I would have done. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see how that's just been constant. You know, that's been around for, for a long time. Um, and that it's nothing new in, in that I, I do think it's important to, uh, if you want to create a, like a personal brand, um, to hold that value to yourself, right. You know, to not well, then- sell out just because there's an opportunity on the table. And I think we have to be careful, we, all of us content creators, because the low hanging fruit is like to take any check that's in front of you. And I, and you can see um, in comments on Instagram or comments on YouTube where I, the general public is starting to look at stuff with maybe a little bit more critical eye. You know, mm-hmm. the, people are starting to get understanding of how do all these people make their nut every month? And, um, I think if you push that envelope too far and it's just, I'll, I'll take a check from whomever hangs one in front of me that you start to see in comments, well, clearly you're only using that thing because company A are, is paying you to do so. And then the thing that the company's trying to get, um, 
is is they're not going to get because it, what what needs to happen is just like people see you use the square and they think oh I trust the guy or yep. gal they're using that tool I think I'm going to go get one but as soon as it starts to look like a commercial you don't have that trust anymore so I think for the companies that are that want to use influencers to get their message across that's great I love the concept but it's just got to be carefully done so that you know, like I said, in the perfect cartoon bubble, um, I would have gone out to Amazon and I would have ordered this thing anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm cool with the fact that we're using it and getting a check for it because this was going to happen anyway. And right. Yeah. So how did you how did you balance that? You know, back then, as far as you're trying to get it underwritten and those things, like because so when you first started in, you had all that experience. Obviously, you had some tool set, right? You had all the tools that were, and it's going into your shop, so. Uh, I mean, my assumption would be that you went after those brands first and my assumption would also be that they all didn't bite. So, you know, how did that look as far as because I think that's another thing that 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 is kind of the crux of that issue is that when you get in. So, like, let's just take, for example, a, a, a square, you know, so you're using a square like I might have one that I bought off of Amazon uh, that that was whoever's it was brand X's. Uh, mm -hmm. But then there's a similar one that's brand wise and I look at it and maybe I've never used it, but it's like similar specs and brand X doesn't want to pay me, but brand Y will. And so, you know, you trade that out. Like, like how, how did you guys go through that? Because I think that is what a lot of people struggle with. And a lot of our audience struggle with is that brands are coming to them. You know, maybe they've always used yellow tools, but the blue tool brand is coming. They're saying, Hey, we'll give you some money. So now they're thinking, well, am I going to sell out if I go to the blue, but the blue looks just as good. And, you know, yeah. maybe they, and maybe they have better specs or even just different little features. You know, what what was your I'd love to hear your per perspective on that, because I think a lot of people struggle with that. And they they feel like, oh, it, it, am I selling out if I go to a different brand, even though the quality might be just as good or or better? Yeah. Um, well, so the first part, yes, I had a I mean, I was already teaching. I opened my school in my old shop in 98. And then the GOA stuff didn't come along till 2007. So we were we were shooting in what was already a fully equipped shop of mine. Um, so there wasn't anybody we there weren't any deals for us, for me, where a company said like I one of the deals I know people craft today is to say for a yearly sponsorship check from like a portable power tool manufacturer would be a great example. For a yearly check, I will use nothing but your portable power tools in everything I do. So I don't have any. I don't have any deals like that. Mine, all everything we did and continue to do is on more of a onesie twosie basis, um, where um, we're going to use that in a video, and that's the end of our promise, right there. Gotcha. So when I, for me, it opens the door that when I go to another video. I still have the opportunity to use what was already here or somebody else we craft a relationship with or whatever it is. Um, and part of, I think too, what's different for, uh, for Woodworkers Guild, it's a different um, financial equation because we do have subscribers. So today we're generating revenue by, I mean, like you, there's 4,000 sources, you know, there's AdSense and there's um, whatever, all, all of the stuff. Um, but primarily there we have subscribers and we have sponsorship from businesses. Um, so because um, th there's good news and there's bad news, uh, the good news is I don't have to lean on the sponsor so heavily because we create revenue through subscription 
pricing. The bad news is people look at some stuff I do and say, why are you charging? So some of our content's behind a paid wall. And the negative right. we get to that is, why, why is it behind a paid wall? There's a boatload of stuff for free on YouTube. So for somebody who's getting all their money up front, then you can you can pump all that content out and make it available for free because you already made your revenue off of it. Where for us, we have to rely on some of that coming in on the back end. And it'll be interesting in the next, I don't know, pick a number, one year, two years, 10 years, that as more and more content floods the marketplace, is there room for a subscription-based program? Um, and it's, I mean, and there seems to be today because we get new subscribers all the time. So um, I don't know that, that it'll, that part remains to be seen how that's going to shake out. Yeah. I think it, I, I, I love the paywall concept. Like I think that, you know, when I've paid for any, any of the content that you guys provide, if I pay for a plan or a video or a class or a tutorial or anything, I'm always getting more than I expect. And I think that the developers of those, the content behind the walls knows that, right? And like, I know, I know that your content is so much deeper and more involved behind the paywall than it is in front um, because it's not, it's no longer a volume game, right? Like on, um, with a guild or some sort of uh, um, situation like that, you have, uh, you don't, you don't have to put out volume of numbers like you do on YouTube in order to stay relevant. If you put out one class or course on something that you are the guy or girl on, um, people are going to be much, much more willing to pay you for it instead of you just putting out tidbits and stuff on YouTube all the time and then hoping that your influence grows enough that a brand pays you. Yeah. Um, and, and I think a lot of apprehension comes from the individuals who don't actually care about the craft, right? The, the ones that are like, oh, well, I could do all this stuff for free on YouTube. They don't really care about getting better. They're just like, well, so-and-so has free videos out there. Why would I pay for yours? Or they have free plans out there. Why would I buy yours? And it's like, well, look at the quality of their work compared to mine. If you feel like mine's more valuable to you, then go ahead and pay for it. If not, I, it doesn't hurt me none. Like I, there's you know, tons of other people there. And I think that uh, a lot of um, younger people like, my, you know, I'm I'm 31 um, and a lot of people younger than myself, they're the they're so much more apprehensive to pay for anything because there's so much free out there. But then you give them five minutes of your dedicated time where you're like, Hey, here's what you're doing wrong. And you're it's, you just open the can of worms. Now they're like, Oh my goodness. Like I'm, I've been, I've watched thousands of YouTube videos on how to cut this joint and I've never been able to get it that tight. And you're like, yeah, well I watched, you know, George Mondriska's video on how to do this joinery and uh, it taught me in five minutes after I paid him, you know, for the video, uh, how to properly do it instead of just mashing together a bunch of unpaid content. And I think that uh, I, I think it's interesting that a lot of people don't believe like putting a paywall up is the right thing to do. I know like like Gary Vaynerchuk, for instance, is like, I'll, you'll never pay for my content. And that's fine. And then you have the other end of the spectrum where you have like Tony Robbins, where you always have to pay for the content. And you're like, I think there's a market for both specifically in woodworking. I've always found more value out of the stuff I've paid for compared to the stuff I haven't just be, just because I know you're putting so much more time into it than you are and the things you're not. Um, and, and that's just my two cents for the for the listeners out there that are like, oh, should I pay for this or shouldn't I? You're always getting more bang for your buck, I think, when you're when you're paying than yeah. when you're well, not. And, I, and it self-polices. So a couple of things. I, I think it all self-polices yeah. because there people will say 
why would I do this? Like, why would I pay? I can get it for free. And then generally, I, and I never get into that contest. Um, I never weigh in on that contest. But other people will and say, well, because, and just what you said, John, you know, that here's here's what you get. And then the other thing that's, you know, sometimes there's a reason why stuff is free. And I, and for me, I, I spin mm-hmm. a wrench on my own cars all the time. And a great example in my case was when I'm putting a water pump on a Saturn and YouTube video number one said, uh, loosen the engine mount brackets uh, so that you can jack up the engine, but leave the chassis behind. That'll give you access to the water pump. And I'm like, I, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. But, and then <laughs> when I look deeper, I find a paid video that says, take off the right front tire and right behind it, there's an access panel that gives you access to the water pump. Okay. That, that, what I paid to watch that video just earned itself in spades against jacking up the engine to free it from the chassis of the car. So th- this is the kind of thing that happens, I hope, is that what you're saying, you know, we we drill down in pretty good detail. If it needs a plan, we provide the plan. If it all of that stuff is encompassed in the yeah. fact that, you know, and at the end of the day, I, I think I don't really know what a, a yearly subscription to GOA today is like 35 bucks, something like that. And there's 8 million videos on the site. So 35 divided by 8 million isn't a lot. You know what I mean? Like when you amortize that yearly cost <laughs> against the amount of content that's on yeah. there, um, it, I think it's not a bad deal. You know, but I'm, yeah. I'm a little biased. I mean, yeah. this year I, 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 <laughs> I signed up this year for uh, a fine woodworking magazine released mm-hmm. a membership um, segment on their site. And, uh, and I am by, by no means close to being a fine woodworker. So I was like, huh, I did that exact math. I was like, I can get the magazines and these videos. And I was like, this is no brainer. Be, be, and then I can always go and find it like extreme detail when I'm looking for something. Um, and so I think that, I think there's just a ton of opportunity that's still out there that, that we, a lot of people look at and they're like, oh, you know, the, the market for paid content is dead. It's like, like no, it absolutely isn't. Like there are, people striving and thriving. There's the guild, like the, the, your, your guild as well as Mark's guild. And then I know that there's even closer, like DIYer um, individuals who are putting out content on YouTube that have put up paywalls that are doing very, very well. Um, if you're, if you're looking to actually get better at what you're doing, you're always going to be willing yeah. to pay for it. And uh, there's, there's a, I think there's a lot of a merit in that um, at least from a professional standpoint is that, you know, well, and we were, we were talking guitars ahead of time and it's the same thing for me on the, on the receiving end, there's stuff out there for free that'll teach me to play. Yeah. But far and away, the subscription based sites mm-hmm. give me a better end game, give me a better experience than the free yep. ones do. And that's, I've just learned that by trial and error because I don't want to pay. So I tried <laughs> the free stuff and, and at the end of the day here, I, you know, we're circling back. I self policed and found out, Oh yeah, no, the, the paid ones really do work better. And, and it's the same deal. It's, it's worth every penny for me to be able to sit down on my clock, which doesn't have a lot of spare time in it and take those online guitar lessons whenever I want to. And, um, it, it works. Yeah. Same, same concept. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I did I the exact same thing. <laughs> so. I think it boils down to what's, what's interesting is that, uh, it, and it, I think like what you're saying is, you know, with it policing itself, like you policing your own content usage and how you, want to pay and what you want to pay for. But in general, that, that kind of, you know, the, the, the cream rises to the top type thing is that I think what people are, 
are out there looking for, they're looking for expertise and they're looking for authority. And the fact that the barrier to entry to make a YouTube video is like literally zero, like it's anybody that has a phone or you don't even need a phone if you have an iPod, you know, like if you have or a child, right, if you have, <laughs> right, if you have anything that can record video and an internet connection, you can make YouTube videos. And, and so that's what you see and that it becomes so wide. But I, I think what happens is that very quickly, like you said, you can go and, you know, right now what that looks like is you know, subscriber account or views, like whenever you go to search for a video, right? When you went and looked at how to replace a water pump on a Saturn, like you probably had tens of thousands of, of hits on it, uh, most of which were probably not relevant, but then you may have had 20 or 30 videos to choose from. And right away you go and you look and you go, okay, well, this one's got 132 views. You know, this one's got 7,000 views. Oh, that one's got yeah. 487,000 views. It like, you, you know, that's kind of <laughs> right. And, and then even though and one thumbs down, right, yeah. exactly. And, and like you me. can kind of see the proxy. And so I think that's what's the interesting thing that's happening is that, uh, you know, like I said, the cream's rising to the top. You, you know, these indicators of like who has authority in the space. And, and I, I want to kind of push that back over to to the, to the guild and. You know, as you guys have been around for so long, how have, how have you seen that kind of unfold in your space about, um, you know, just the the clout, the name brand recognition, like as you guys started going, like how how long did that take you? Was it more of like getting name brand awareness through the the magazines? And like, did you guys advertise in the print magazines or, you know, how did you how did you build that up for yourself in, you know, before yeah. kind of this whole YouTube and social media days came about? Yeah, we really just, everything was uh, just guerrilla organic marketing. So we were we were pretty determined. We didn't want to buy names anyplace because that's just short-sighted, I think. You know, yes, you get numbers, but then you don't get interaction or engagement. And um, so really, we just, we were at a point where we started the DVD program. So the low-hanging fruit was to say to people whose names we had, um, well, you bought one of these woodworking DVDs, you might be interested in this website. And then from there, um, we've done partnership deals with Wood Magazine, um, with Popular Woodworking. So in a non-compete way, we've worked with other publications and said, okay, we have this, you have this, uh, where can we do an exchange and then keep, we, we each keep the names that we generate from doing this program. Um, Pretty standard everyday stuff like working with a tool manufacturer and saying, let's do a giveaway and then we're going to share, um, you know, if people don't know that's how this works, I'll give away the secret is that if, if you do a giveaway, you're probably keeping all of the names that come in on the giveaway um, and they somewhere in there, there's a thing that you probably clicked that said it's okay to receive marketing materials when you provide your email address for the giveaway. Um, so things like that, where we, we grow our mailing list through that and then just look at conversion, you know, Facebook is an example of, today. Facebook is an example of that, but it wasn't. So to answer your question back in the day, it was really just pounding the pavement, guerrilla marketing, going to IWF, going to AWFS, letting people know what we were doing. Um, I teach on the road a lot. Um, so just me talking to a group of 20 about here's this online thing I'm doing. Um, and, and trying to do that. Um, but yeah, that, that was predating Facebook and Instagram. Right. Which is, which is now interesting. So as you've gotten into the Facebook days and those, how much has Facebook ads and Facebook marketing 
become part of your business? Like, is that, you know, in, in your perspective, because that's something that, you know, John and I have talked about a lot and, and we have, you know, I have some paid plans and things we have paid, but a lot of it for, especially for just a content creator, like, you know, running Facebook ads doesn't make any sense to just try to get subscribers because like you have to have that dollar. But when you have something behind it, like a DVD or a paid subscription for, you know, yearly membership, uh, you can start making that ROI work and you get customer acquisition costs and all that. Like, um, when did you guys jump into that game and getting into the Facebook ads? Um, it was a while ago. I, I, I'm trying to think, I mean, even just the concept, uh, which I, I have to say when people first came to me and said, we should do stuff on Facebook. I was, I was the one who's like, that's the dumbest friggin' idea I ever heard. You know? <laughs> um, cause I didn't see it at that time as a business lever like I do today. Um, and part of it was uh, we have we have this many resources and, and we're all, whether you're a, an employee of one like me or or a big group like the group that runs Woodworkers Guild of America, we all have limited resources. So part of what I was looking at was, well, let's see, if I can spend a dollar to pay a contributing editor to write a story that we publish or to put that toward Facebook growth, I'd rather have the article. Um, and I And I'll still subscribe to the idea that at the end of the day, you're going to gain the most by providing good content and people will find you. And the downside is that can be a slow process to just to just snowball yourself, your brand through that kind of growth can be can be frustratingly slow. Um, but um, I, I think we're probably like from super actively pursuing Facebook for us probably started five years ago, maybe or so. Um, with a with a real close look at what's our conversion from you know we have a couple layers uh, who how many people from Facebook stuff will just sign up to get our newsletter in general and the newsletter itself is free and we have about three hundred thousand people getting the free version of that today then the next conversion is of those how many convert to a paid membership and then there's different levels of paid membership that get you different stuff um, so there's percentages attached to all of that. But um, yeah, for us, the social media stuff, and particularly it was Facebook initially, was probably five years ago or so was a bigger push to see what that's worth. Yeah, but that that's that whole that whole sales funnel, right? I mean, that is like so complex, and and I like I theoretically know about it, and I know there's some things I should probably be doing, and it's you know you that's the whole idea, right? You get them in, it's you have to have that trickle because you can't just go straight to like, you know, John and I were talking about it because we we did the uh, the pricing guide and we we ran some ads on Facebook. They're just like, yo, go buy the pricing guide. And, the, and we we're talking to a guy on Facebook and he's like, you, you can't really do that. You kind of, you know, you can't just go straight for like the marriage proposal. Like yeah. you got to ask them to date first. You, mm -hmm. gotta, you have to know who you are yeah. before you even ask them to date. And like, so it's it, that whole thing about the sales funnel, unless you have just a really awesome product, like we were just talking about a minute ago, like you have no authority, people need to know who you are. So it's kind of this interesting thing where you think about, oh man, like how, I don't want to pay to give people a free newsletter, yeah. but then the people who are on your free newsletter are the people who are going to buy, you know, your actual paid content. So it's, yeah, it's it, a really interesting trickle. And from the newsletter, then you get statistics. So if we circle the whole thing back to the manufacturers, so, um, and I was thinking about this before, too, with what were we talking about, like um, the idea of just producing good content and then it self-polices for the public who is watching it. But I think it also self-polices more and more with with 
manufacturers who are looking to use influencers because I, I think that they are also seeing that, well, okay, for this person who's really just legitimately welding or woodworking or auto repair or motorcycle or whatever they're doing or all of the above, that um, because they're just legitimately producing content without trying to sell everything, that that makes it good for the end user and it also makes it good for the for the manufacturers who want to be involved with influencers. Um and then to and then too with with social media stuff. I know when I when I first opened my Instagram account that promotes my school and classes and my custom work and that kind of stuff, I I would I would do an Instagram post and like in every one I would write, so today I'm making a cabinet and you could learn to do this in one of my classes. Today I'm cutting a mortise and tenon and you could learn to do this in one of my classes. And a couple of people said, like, you got a X-nay on the L-say on Instagram. <laughs> like, you know, just back off at trying to talk about it all. And they were right. Like, at the end of the day, the less I promote, the more activity I get. And and my kids, huh. my two daughters, were also instrumental in this. They're, um, they know way more about this stuff than I. And and uh, it's just, it, I'll, it just comes back, I think, to if you if you build it, they will come. If you make good content. And people come to trust you for good content. Everything else is going to fall into place, but it could be a painfully slow process. But it's but the but then the base you have instead of buying a bunch of names that that don't interact, and that's where I was going with the newsletter. I guess was when you get people that way and they've chosen to subscribe for your newsletter, then you're then the click open is like sixty percent, which is crazy no. high. Where yeah. if it's just names you buy, your click open is like twenty percent. So then now when you go to a manufacturer and say, let's let's put an ad for you on the bottom of my newsletter and the open rate is 60%. Oh, cool. That's great. Okay. So it just, then it all, it all comes back together, I think. Yeah. But who That'll knows? It'll all change tomorrow because it's the internet. <laughs> so. I think uh, another interesting aspect is like the, the expectations for conversions across platforms, right? Um, and, and like, like for instance, you're, you're fairly new to Instagram. <clears throat> and seeing Instagram as like this this potential place that uh, you could easily fall into the trap of thinking like 100% of my followers are going to be consuming content on, you know, another platform, for instance, like YouTube. And when you really come to learn and realize is that it's its own like separate entity, which requires production of content specific to that entity. Um, and you can't just essentially dump and run or regurgitate content. Uh, across platform. And we talk about that a lot on the show with with individuals who are looking to use Instagram, Facebook, YouTube to uh, promote their 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 businesses like like you were just touching on. Instagram isn't a very salesy platform. It's not somewhere where, you know, offering a, a discount or a uh, an opportunity to buy something works as well as, say, email email. There's an expectation that, you know, I'm, I'm going to get an ad on this. Like yeah. I signed up for it. People are going to send me that. Um, what, I, what we find unique, and this is something Brad and I laugh about a ton, is is how there's like <laughs> no cross pollination from Instagram to YouTube in an extent, and and you can see on like a bunch of uh, uh, different platforms how you could say, you know, I have you know, a couple hundred thousand people on an email list. Like, why is why am I struggling so hard on Instagram? Well, it's, they're completely different. Yeah. The people on Instagram may be maybe looking for short snippets of uh you know educational type content compared to long form stuff um and it is all about with like what you said it's about finding those those quality um tribe members or that qu quality audience members who are willing to you know, go from one step to the next and kind of work their way down the funnel um 
as we as we're sitting here, you know, I just I literally just bought a subscription to the Woodworkers Guild of America uh, just because I know you guys are going to have extremely high value premium content on wood turning, which is something that I just got a lathe. So I'm like, I'm not even going to bother trying to go down the rabbit hole of YouTube and find bad content. But I wouldn't be aware of that if I wasn't uh, if we didn't meet a few years ago at a, at a I think it was like a Milwaukee tool yeah. show or something. Yeah. And that if we didn't become friends via you know being around at certain things together, I wouldn't have known about the Woodworkers Guild of America because I'm not in your funnel and whatnot. And um, I think that that's something important for for most brands to recognize is that there are different people on different platforms. Like Instagram is different than Facebook is different than YouTube is different than a email list is different than your website viewer. And you have to approach all of them differently. Um, and we get a lot of listeners who are, who are like, Oh, I'm struggling over here, but I'm killing it over here. Like, why aren't these people coming over? And you're like, well, you just essentially just dump your content to them yeah. on that other platform. And they're different. They're different consumers. Um, so I love hearing and I love hearing an instance. Quote, I'm, I'm putting quotes in the air um, in the real world of something just like that. Like what you were just saying, because uh, it's it's a lot more common than a lot of people think is just because you're huge. One place doesn't mean it's yeah. necessarily going to carry over on the, the, the Instagram ability to post a piece to Instagram and Facebook is like really dangerous because it's so easy to do. But the the what Facebook wants is nothing like what Instagram wants. So it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing to take the 60 second Instagram video and put it on Facebook, but the reaction won't be the same. Yeah. Uh, like that that thing on Instagram could have whatever a 10,000 views in a day um and on Facebook it'll have 3 because it's just not the same market <laughs> at all and it's people have way different expectations. So it right. it works but it doesn't work as well as like, so in any case, back to what you were saying, John, is like making it work in one spot and not another. Like just if you're a heavy Instagram user, just simultaneously dumping your content to Facebook when you do an Instagram post is not necessarily a good way to grow your Facebook page. Right. No, we're having I'm like, I see it all the time. time. Well, on Facebook, I'll see the post that say like Lincoln bio. That's like, what do you mean, Lincoln bio? This is Facebook. There is no, <laughs> there's no link. It like, takes a little editing. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You, like you literally can't because you can. Like, I, I like like how you said that, George. It's dangerous because they make it so easy that that auto share like you, you, you can push that auto share button and never do anything again. And every time you post to Instagram, it'll just post to Facebook. And I see people uh, doing that to uh, to Twitter a lot, too. And, and I'll be honest, I'm guilty of it on Twitter just because like I don't enjoy Twitter that much. And so I, a lot of my stuff just auto post there and and I don't I, I don't pay it any attention. But I do on Facebook because I had seen that and I'll go in and I'll forget sometimes and I'll be like, oh, gosh, I got to go back and edit that link. So I've turned auto sharing off for that exact reason, because you just have to even like the tagging. If you're trying to tag a person or a brand like it, it, it won't carry over and it'll just look like an ad sign. And people are like, well, what? You know, they can tell. I think that's the, the, the biggest thing is that the Facebook users are like, oh, this guy's just mailing it in like he's he's not trying and that, uh, you know, that they're going to they're going to bail on that. But. Uh, on the, on the Instagram thing, I want to hit, cause we talked about it just a little bit in the beginning of the show, um, doing the Instagram, when did you start really getting heavy into Instagram? George, um, just as a two years ago level set. Okay. So, so as you did that, and then, uh, I, like I was mentioning earlier in the show, I know a lot of folks saw you when you were helping April build her shop out. 
Uh, like, you know, what did that look like? Did you see uh, 1500 followers in 24 hours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, so that's just I think that's really interesting where it goes to the show. Like I said, you know, it's like just getting getting visibility in front of you. Know, April's obviously got a large audience over there, which is which is small compared to our YouTube audience. Again, yeah. talking about, you know, killing it in one and, and it not necessarily transferring to the other. Um, like uh, how did what did that conversation look like? Like, did it transfer over to your site when you got those 1500? You know, I love this conversation about getting people because you, you know, you didn't buy those people or you didn't do a giveaway. Like those came because they saw like, Oh my gosh. Like as I was watching these stories unfold, I was like, dude, George, like he knows what's up. Like he can frame the heck out of a, out of a house, which is, which is funny yeah. because that's not oh, even yeah. what we're talking about. Here. You know, woodworking. About... <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so what did that, <laughs> How, how did that go down? Like, did you start getting comments as you started posting on your normal page? Like, like how how did that kind of to shape your following or, or change anything or the way that you you talked about things on on your page? But I think so for me, I, I'm always somebody who has done a little of everything. So I, I can do a bunch of stuff. I don't do anything really well, whether it's woodworking, auto mechanics or welding. Um, but I do a lot of different stuff. So when I did that building construction stuff at April's, it it gave me a little bit more freedom, I thought, in my own space to be like, well, okay, if if I am building a shed, I'm okay with showing that. I, I don't feel like I need to be a woodworking-only guy in my own channel. I mean, Woodworkers Guild is different because that's we don't do home improvement or wiring or auto repair or welding. Um, but in my right. own space, I do all that stuff all the time. So... I guess I felt like then more okay that I, people are taking this well. So I'm okay with showing that. Um, and then, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's the same conversion thing. Like if, if I got to think, I got to do like math in my head for a second. If, if, uh, if as a rule, 30% of followers on Instagram are clicking through to my homepage Thirty percent of fifty thousand is better than thirty percent of a thousand. So, right. <laughs> um, so, whatever it is, you know, whether it's through my posts or working, you know, I was out at Ann Briggs' place for a month, and and I had or not a month, for it felt like a month because it rained every day. It was about a week, <laughs> um, but it was uh, same thing. You know, by her mentioning me, I got growth by working with April, by working with Jay Bates, by work with with whomever. So all of that stuff is positive and it's the same thing when you get that organic growth, then those, I think those people stay. I mean, I watch, um, now I can't remember the name of the app where you can really more so than just how many followers do I have? It shows you you're up and you're down. Um, right. Blade. What is it? Slice blade, single blade, so, uh, social, blade. social blade. Yeah. Social. Blade. Um, and I lose very few followers and I'm very proud of that. Cause I feel like, well, that means they bought in under the right umbrella um, and they're choosing to stay for a really long time. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question or not. I think I digressed 3000 times. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I just, I love the theme about that, uh, you know, slow, steady, consistent, organic growth that, uh, you know, which is always great to have bumps and you'll get that. Like, I, I think that's the beauty of it is that if you're growing, uh, because this is what I found in the beginning when I was doing it, like I was, you know, putting out as being very consistent in my content and trying to do high quality content, which again, you know, you mentioned content is king, like you got to have great content, but then like getting that feature or just getting that shout out or that mention or whatever, all of a sudden it's like, 
all these people have their eyes open to, oh, there's this person out there. Because that's the that's the biggest struggle for most people is just is just visibility is that people don't know because there are like we talked about. There are so many Instagram accounts. There's so many YouTube accounts that there are too many choices and people don't even know you exist to make the choice whether to follow you or not. Yeah. And then once you can get in front of somebody that that's, you know, that's, oh, okay. And then you get the buy-in and you get those, those good followers and you can hopefully convert them into a long-term follower uh, or, you know, paid subscriber of your content, whether that's personally or through the, through the Woodworkers Guild, um, you know, like what were some of those things that were the most successful talking about that guerrilla marketing and getting in uh, for, for your business that didn't require paid money? Like, you know, was it the, was it the cross promotion? Was it working, uh, you know, doing those kind of meet and greets? Like, well, you know, what are the things that, that some of our audience can take away as like, what was most successful helping you grow out that you didn't necessarily have to pay for? Uh, um, one, I think is when you're, when you're in the, in the content world, for me, I find the less I think about it, probably the better it's going to do. So, and we've maybe all experienced this where I'm doing something in the shop that I think is like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing since electricity. And if I do a video on this, it's going to have 800 million views and it gets four. And then <laughs> stuff where it's just like, let's see, I could kind of use something for Instagram and I can, I can give you an example. I'm feeding all these pieces through my Supermax sander. So I'm just going to set up my phone and get 30 seconds of this, of these 50 pieces going through my sander. And that's been viewed 50,000 times, literally been viewed 50,000 times. It's like the craziest thing. So one, like if there's a little gee whiz cool to it, don't be afraid to capture it. And like, don't put, I guess you don't want junk, but, but don't overthink. Like if your goal is to make a video that goes viral, it's never going to happen because you're thinking about it too much. And then two, yeah, I, I, I like to foster relationships with people like you guys or whomever else is in our industry. And um, anything you can do there to, um, to grow that. And if, if, if it's going to meet and greets or somehow reaching out and trying to get involved with that person, I did, um, I, I haven't done it for a while now, but I've done, Early, I, I would specifically solicit somebody, I don't know, I think not even somebody I knew, um, but I, I would message him on Instagram and say, how about you find something on my content that you like and post it, and I'll find something of yours that I post. So I, and I would look for somebody who's like, when I was at 2,000 followers, they were at 2,000 followers. And the premise being we can cross-pollinate because we probably don't have the same 2,000 people. Um, and that's pretty painless. That's It's easy to do, and it's good for everybody. Um, I would look, I'd pay some attention to what manufacturers have a significant Instagram following, um, and not, I wouldn't go out and buy that product and specifically use it in order to use it. But if I have that stuff in my shop, um, and I can use it, tag them in there and then maybe they do a repost, maybe they don't. But I, I saw some pretty good growth in my, uh, following on Instagram from Microjig reposting some of my stuff, uh, I, I don't know, a year or 18 months ago. Um, and that was just dumb luck. You know, that was just right place at the right time kind of thing. But getting a repost from a manufacturer that's got 100,000 followers is a pretty good thing. Um, so paying a little bit of attention to the marketplace there of who's, and some manufacturers are real active and some aren't, you know, some barely pay attention to it. So you want to be smart 
if you're going to devote that energy to putting it toward something you could potentially benefit from. And, and like I said, it's not about selling out to make that happen, but it's like, well, at the end of the day, I'm going to use some push pad when I cut dados on my table saw. Um, and if I, if I use a yellow one and I can get a repost on a micro jig for that, that's cool. I like their product. It's already here and maybe I'll benefit from that um, in a repost. Yeah, I think uh, I think you kind of touched on it earlier, too, is the important part if you're looking for any type of attention that way is to stay authentic to you. Right. Like you're not going out and creating an advertisement in your content for whatever brand's attention you're looking for. It's just there. It's passive. It's your voice. It's your content. It's 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 true to your you and your brand. And then the potential upside is a reshare or grabbing the attention of the brand. What we see a lot of is people just trying to grab brands' attentions anymore. And they're like, you'll see tag posts all over photos and videos for every tool in the shop with 12 different things itemized and listed out. And and I think there's another aspect too when it comes to your content specifically is the validation of you being an expert and an instructor. If you say a product's good, it's a completely different voice saying that compared to like me saying a product's good, right? Uh, I have, uh, you know, a, a little bit of experience and some attention, but you have a ton of experience and you've seen the evolution of industries for tools, not just, you know, the, uh, Instagram pop up all of a sudden and people want to get paid for sponsorships. So I think there's a lot of value in that too, is that if you're, if you do like and love a brand and you're looking for attention, don't go and create an advertisement and put it on your YouTube or your, excuse me, your Instagram page and expect them to be like, wow, this is fantastic. We're going to reshare it. If you're passively using things in your voice and it's value adding to yourself and your audience, I think that's a much better route. And I know that's what you naturally do, even if you don't see it um, in your content, because because I can I consume your content. I love your stories and I love how you present the things that you're working on. Um, and and I notice I notice the tools and things you're putting out there all the time, but it's never like a, you know, you're never just hawking a, an ad out there for someone uh, and and. And I know that there's a lot of our listeners who are like balancing that right now. They're like, I want to get attention to this brand. And I tagged them 96 times. I'll be blatantly honest that it happens to Brad and I a ton as people do it to us. They want our attention. And I'm, I'm literally tagged 10 times a day in posts just so people are looking for reshares and stuff. And uh, going back to the comment you made earlier for me to reshare that. Yeah, great. You might get a splash in a pot, pick up a couple hundred followers. Cool. But are they like, real followers that you want, right? Like you said that you barely lose any followers a day. I lose hundreds a day. I know Brad loses hundreds a day. Like we're, we've had so many viral pieces of content pop off on Instagram is that someone will come to your page and just hit follow because that piece of content's got 2 million views on it. And then they won't, they don't care about your stuff in the future. You have to keep in mind the type of audience you want to build as you're doing it, the tribe that you're building. Um, we talked about this in like episode one of made for profit, um, and then gauge your content around that. Uh, and I think that that's something you've just been naturally doing because you've been doing this for so long. Um, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in how you've gone about it for individuals that are looking to grow an Instagram following that are looking to grow any type of following is, you know, keeping that kind of staying true to yourself uh, just because the the environment seems to look one way. You don't necessarily have to pivot and and do your everything to to fit it. You can still be you know, who you are and, and when in the, that existing environment, yeah. if that kind of makes sense. You just got to be patient. And have yeah. extreme patience. Yeah. 
So <laughs> so as you're as you're building this Georgia and and I don't know if you've thought through this part down that far, but you know, so you've got the you, you're obviously have a, a ton invested in Woodworkers Guild of America and and that, and then but now at the same time you know you're you're growing this personal brand and you're getting you know, social media followers and you're you're doing these other things uh, and and contributing and things like that like like how how does that look for you do you know how do you see how do you see because I know a lot of people are also doing that as well that they're like oh I'm I'm maybe they're working for a, a different company so uh, they're whether they're consulting or, or they're an employee or whatever or they're doing their woodworking and selling but then they're they're starting to get this social media presence. So it's almost like this this difference between influence and and product or output, right? So not that they're the same, but you know, providing content to a magazine not necessarily the same as making tables, but that that's mm. one thing. And then content and influence is another thing. How do you how do you see those things? Like how how are you looking at those? And do those just you know do you bounce one to the other? Uh, you know what are the what does that look like as you think about how they play into your business versus your quote unquote you know personal brand and social influence? Um, I just think it's weird for you to say I have social influence because I still don't think of myself <laughs> that way, but thank you. Um, my, I've been self-employed this year for 21 years. Um, and I, wow, I travel that. awesome. with things, um, but I always have this fear of when will the other shoe drop? So, um, part of my, the way my brain works is, um, like, here's what I have in the can and then here's something maybe I'm just curious about and would like to explore. Here's a revenue stream I would like to develop. So, so part of me is I don't want to sit on just a revenue stream and say, well, this is going great. I'm going to ride this wave. And that's all there is. So that's why I still do. I still teach on the road once a month. I have another book I'm working on. I, um, I do some custom work. Um, I consult with a couple of tool manufacturers. I, work 80 hours a week as a result, because I have a lot of balls in the air, but, but I, but I, I have the energy for that. And I really, really like what I do. I like all that stuff. So I, I really do work in excess of 60 hours every week, but, um, but I, it doesn't feel like it because I really like what I do. So my cartoon bubble is that Woodworkers Guild is great. And I love doing that. And I love being in front of a camera. I'm kind of a carny, you know, and I love getting in front of a camera and shooting that stuff. Um, but at the same time, I want to look at, well, what else can I do? And can I, can I be producing product on my CNC machines that I can be selling? Um, and that can just be passive income. Can I, you know, I, I love the royalty residual income idea. So what else can be cooking for me out there that I should be working on today so that five years from now, that's another thing like GOA. And, um, so yeah, it's just I just kind of keep throwing stuff into the cooking pot, and some of it has worked, and some of it hasn't. And um, but I but I want to I want to keep generating more and more revenue streams, so that um, I don't just to keep my just to make to have some level of confidence that there'll always be some revenue. I guess is what it comes down to. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. throwing a bunch of seeds out to the field, yeah. right, <laughs> and seeing which ones grow. Self-employed mean for twenty-one years means I will work until I'm hundred and twenty-one. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get a good 401k going when you're self-employed 21 years. So, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, always looking for the next, next thing. And I don't, I don't want to say the next big thing. Like, that's not how I think. Like, I'm not looking for a windfall. It's just about keep plugging away and, and generate these little things 
uh, to contribute. Yeah, I think that's invaluable. You know, having that kind of mindset to stay diversified, to um, have some sort of uh, semblance of the long game. A lot of people tend to look at things short term and get really bummed out when short term things don't work. Like me, for instance, the last two pieces of content I produced haven't performed as well as the two pieces before that. And it's super easy for me to get, you know, just disheartened by it. But I'm not in the game for each individual piece of content. It's a it's a long play for myself. And then I'm I'm very similar in that I'm trying to diversify, you know, whether I'm trying to get into slabbing and milling um, urban film lumber and turning that into a revenue stream itself through doing a little bit of custom work here and there. I'm doing so I'm doing a little more teaching on the things that I feel I can <laughs> I can actually teach. Um, but with that, uh, use your like take a look in the mirror for, for anyone listening and look at your skill set. Look at who you are as a business owner, as, as an individual, and then take the parts of it that you see is most that you're best at and then try to diversify those. You know, are you a personality like like George was just saying, you know, uh, feeling comfortable and and uh, enjoying being on camera like a lot of people don't have that. You'd be surprised. Like we sit here on the show and Brad and we take it for granted that it's easy for us to stand in front of a camera. How many how many people can't do that? So like if that's something you're comfortable with, put yourself in a position to use that skill set in order to potentially make you uh, more more income <clears throat> um, down the line, not just in this moment, you know, or and, and that's. Uh, I think that's some some really smart, sound business advice um, that can seem like it's, you know, just just throwing stuff out there and guessing at times for for us that are in it. But being diversified is is vastly important to any business. And I'm pretty sure Brad has like six degrees. That's in like that's in like 101 business. 101, yeah, right? Is diversification. But like what I what I love most about that, George, is like is is like. I love your mindset because I like the same the same thing is like that. I know, you know, just hearing you talk like being self-employed for 21 years, like you're, you're going to be in self-employed for as long as you want because that you're you've got that the, the consummate entrepreneur mindset, right? Like always looking for the next thing. Like, how can I turn this in? And I, and I love what you said. It's not that not that you're disinterested in what you have, but it's just the ability to look for other opportunities and try to turn being able to see an opportunity and turn it into something that's going to actually be a revenue stream and put money in your pocket. And, and like that, you know, when I, when I look at folks who are trying to get into business, like those are the people who I see who do the most, have the most success, because then what happens is like, you're, you're constantly doing that. You're constantly generating ideas. And eventually one of them does just go right. And you're like, okay, now this is my thing. And the other things can, you know, do whatever you can passively, you know, hire people to still keep making those CNC things. And like, you have that on the side, because again, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. But uh, I, I love that idea of of just constantly looking and working on the things because you're right. I mean, that's the thing. I've I've been self employed now for coming on two years uh, in in August, and is, <laughs> and uh, I was in corporate America for 17 years before that. So it's it's been very very different. And and I I love the eat what you kill mentality. So it's like yeah. the harder you work the more you're going to make, the more you're right. So if you're working on one idea, that's great. If you're working on seven ideas, that's even better. Now your, your wife and your kids might not think the same thing, but yet you have to figure out work like work life balance and how all that is sustainable. But to see that you've been doing that for 21 years and, and just here instill your passion, man, I, I, I love hearing that. It's a great example for somebody like me and other people listening who are like, I, can I make this work long-term? Like, Love it, man. I love seeing that you're just been out there just beating the drum for two decades and 
and are still super passionate and putting out awesome things and and doing some things that are really still you know firing you up every day especially in woodworking right because a lot of people think it's like dead like you could right. be a woodworker. Yeah. I'm like, well, you're. <laughs> it's funny when George I. Is, George is killing it. I just taught at a Rockler store and there were pictures from the event. And somebody, I think it was on my Instagram, but it might have been on Rockler's. I don't know. And somebody commented, like, wouldn't it be great if there were younger people in this audience? And I replied and said, well, they're not in this audience, but they're in the audience because, because of guys like you. And um, this whole maker movement concept, you know, as a, as a guy who wanted to be a shop teacher, this is like your you guys are today's shop teachers who are um, I I don't know that thirty year olds do or don't watch my stuff I have no idea but um, but they watch yours and that 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 group is still out there and very very active and and hungry to do stuff with their hands and so for us so for people who are producing the content to guide those people I think that's it's a very viable market and it'll be interesting to see what it all looks like and two, three, four, five years. But um, I think there's a big, um, there's a lot of room to educate those people. And it's it, it, the market, the manner in which we present is going to continue to change. Um, but I think it's still be the opportunity to present will still be there. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100% agree. George, uh, one thing we like to ask all of our interviewees and guests is uh, if you just have a piece of advice that I know with, with two decades of experience, uh, you have a, a vast library of advice, I'm sure. But any any advice uh, that you could give folks in the audience who you know are looking to to kind of go out into what you just said and start being part of this community, you know, what, or just in general, just self employment. So my normal thing I've been saying for a long time, because people ask me all the time, um, I want to open a shop. So, and I my advice is to look for something that you have or can offer that other people can't. So a couple examples of this are like in the world of, I, I want to do custom woodworking. I'll say um, everybody who owns a table saw calls themselves a cabinet maker. Everybody who owns a cirque saw calls themselves a carpenter. And there's all sorts of stuff that differentiates them. But um, when a customer is just looking for a cabinet maker, they don't know maybe that you're really good and the other person up the road, not so much, but what can help differentiate you is like, so for you, um, can you access a tool that augments your skill set that other people don't? And maybe that's a laser or a CNC or uh, uh, a legacy ornamental mill or so that that's like, like a capital investment that gives you an edge in the marketplace. Is there a material that you can get? Um, you know, you, you've got a line on buying cowrie wood from New Zealand that nobody else has. And that's going to give you that edge in the marketplace that your product is all going to be made out of cowrie. Um, or is it just a skill set? Like I, I think what I'm good at is seeing stuff and being able to break it down into manageable bites. So that's maybe my, my biggest attribute is the ability to teach the ability to talk about stuff. So, so look for it. If, if you're just, if you're just another, I don't know, woodworker, you know, I, I hate to say it that way because it sounds so negative, but, but if you're doing the same thing everybody else is going to do, then what's going to differentiate you from the marketplace? What, what's going to make you, what's going to compel somebody to watch or listen to your stuff? So try to try to find something, and it, a, a skill, a tool, a material, a product, a location, a thing 
that will help differentiate you from all the other people who are trying to do exactly the same thing. And whether that's the, and the benefit isn't, the benefit can be then the number of people who watch you and, or tool manufacturers who watch you because now you're different from everybody else. And, and that's a good thing. So love that. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) (laughs) Dig it. Uh, Great, great advice. How do you, how do you stand out? Uh, That is because there's so you know, we talked about it earlier several times. Everybody's got a phone. Everybody's got an account. Yeah. So how are you? I love that. Everybody who has a circular saw is a carpenter. Yep, that's <laughs> true. So how, how are you different? Love that. Uh, George, it's been fantastic talking to you and just getting to hear a bit of the history and, and seeing how you have adapted and changed throughout the years and just that, that steady growth and staying diversified and playing that long game. And thank you so much for, for joining us on here. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Went very, very quickly. Yes, it did. Already an hour up. All right. Thanks a lot, George. Thank you. Dude, I am still blown away by the amount of content George has produced, like 130 DVDs and videos. Like, I I could probably like go to my closet, like I said, pull out a dozen magazines with his articles in just a couple of minutes. He is an OG in the woodworking game. It is so awesome to hear hear his story. Yeah, he's a, such a cool guy too. Like a, a, a massive wealth of knowledge. Uh, been a great resource for me since we met a couple years ago. Um, I love seeing his persistence in our community now, like with with the changing and evolutions in social media and how YouTube's working. It's just awesome to see someone like himself continue to persevere, even though the spectrum continues to change. As it does. Yeah, if you guys want to see more about George and get links to all the things he's involved in, you can head over to madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 104. Yeah, and do yourselves a favor and head on over to Instagram and follow us as well as George at Made for Profit. And we will have George tagged in the episode linked to this episode on Instagram for all that long winded jargon. Linkity linkity. No we got but it. Check him out. His Instagram's awesome. He does a lot of behind the scenes in his shop, and I really think you guys will dig it. Absolutely. All right, man, let's go hit this after show. Let's crush. Cool.